Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, medical report, as we start a new week on the Whistleblower Report here every Monday through Friday, 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time. This is Dr. Lee for America, and we start this week with a hopeful show talking about a miraculous recovery, a true testament to courage and faith and persistence and standing up for what you know to be right and standing up for those we love against the medical tyranny that has been so prevalent in our hospitals in the last three years. With us today is Nicole Landers, my co-host and director of the COVID Care Strategy Team for Truth for Health Foundation, and Ashley Gunderson, who is a mom and a wife with a full-time job in the medical field. And she is here to tell the story about her father and his miraculous recovery. So Ashley, welcome. And thank you so much for telling our story. Nicole, if you'd like to make a few comments at the beginning, then we'll hear from Ashley. Absolutely, Dr. Valit. Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today. And um, there's so many aspects that Ashley's going to share um, in this story that are just, after a year, almost two years of rescuing patients uh, from the hospital, the echoes ring true once again with what Ashley's father and family went through. Um, in his hospital care. And in this story, I'm excited for Ashley to be able to share how faith played in to seeing her father survive. The faith pushes back the fear. And that is so important. And I just really want to emphasize how powerful that part of hearing from Ashley today will be. Well, you're so right. And we've been doing a Faith Over Fear seminar every Tuesday night now for almost a year. And the stories of how faith sustains people through adversity are really heartwarming. And I hope this program today will be a real inspiration and encouragement to all of, all of you out there who are going through adversities of any kind. Ashley, we are grateful that you are sharing your family's story with us today. So tell us about your family and about what happened. 
Dr. Valiet, thank you. And Nicole, thank you. And thank you for everything that the Truth for Health Foundations is doing. Um, it's, I'm grateful to be on to be able to share this story. Um, obviously, you know, the, the bigger part of the story is dad was a COVID-19 miracle, um, put into the hospital with COVID-19 and uh, came out of the hospital 98 days later, um, not quite walking, but standing. And um, he was, you know, he was considered a miracle. Um, so growing up, uh, my family, you know, always put uh, family first and in that family for first, it included God. We, you know, went to church every Sunday. Um, we were, you know, just kind of that, that family. We, I didn't grow up with a lot. Um, I had to kind of cave my, carve my own path in life. And um, as I grew up, it led me um, to the medical field. And I started in the medical field in 2005. Um, went to school to be a radiologic technologist and um, my journey began in the medical community. Um, and I was grateful for this when, when dad got sick. Um, I, um, and my family members, um, I have four other siblings and we all had, uh, have a, a portion of being in the medical field. My sister's a naturopathic doctor. My other sister, she was in phlebotomy for a period of time. My other sister was a paramedic in the ER. My brother is a paramedic and fireman. So we all, you know, we all are part of that medical community as well. Um, and the journey kind of began when dad got sick with COVID-19 in uh, the end of July, 2020. So this was a little bit ago. Um, you know, at that time there wasn't a, you know, there was, a, they were still, you know, trying to figure out hospital protocols and things like that. <clears throat> so, you know, we kind of communicated with him because he, he lost, he, he had all the symptoms of COVID um, and he had lost his breath in the shower. He was coughing and, and started to not be able to breathe. And he sat down on the chair and my mom came inside. Cause at that time we, they have a, a country home. So they take care of the yard, the garden, um, all that stuff. And my mom came inside from help, you know, helping out outside since dad wasn't able to do the chores at that time. And he, he was, you know, looking pretty, pretty ill. So she, he told her like, I, I need to do something about this. Um, he had already had a COVID swab. Um, and that was about two or three days earlier with no results yet. Um, so they just kept on telling him to stay at home until, you know, basically until he got bad enough. Um, and at that point we had all had a conversation. We did a zoom count, zoom call at that time. Um, since we're all about an hour from each other, um, spread out. And we did a zoom call and told dad, you know, dad's always been, you know, healthy. Like I said, he takes care of his own country home and gardening and everything else. And had always been, you know, really healthy, gets over illnesses fast and everything else. And we were like, dad, you really need to go to the hospital. Like there's, you know, you don't want to die at home basically. And, um, you need, you need some type of care that can't be offered at home from what we understood. So my mom took him to, to the hospital. And, um, that night after the test result came back officially, um, positive, he still at that point had no response from that first test. Um, he was asked if he wanted to be admitted and, um, he agreed, he agreed to the remdesivir treatment. He agreed to the plasmapheresis at that time because he was, he, I mean, it truthfully takes a lot for my dad to, to, we were all surprised that he agreed to this, um, journey, um, because that's just who he is. He's a very strong, strong-willed person. And, um, he then entered the hospital, said, you know, my mom gave him a kiss thinking it was going to be a couple days, um, said bye. She called me on her way home at about two 30 in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and told, you know, explained to me the situation. And, you know, we just, we were so hopeful. Um, 
he then uh, um, sat in the hospital. His oxygen sats were maintaining, um, doing okay. And this was a Friday night, Saturday morning. He was admitted. Sunday they started the remdesivir treatment, and that's when that's when things started to trend negatively. So he ended up with um, his oxygen sats started to decrease. They were pronating him. Um, you know, off and on to help prevent any fluid in the lungs from settling, um, pronating, meaning putting him on his belly and his back. Um, he was getting anxious. So they started, you know, sedation and, and trying to keep him comfortable and being able to follow, you know, the protocols. And um, a week later that Friday, um, we, again, hospital protocols were isolation, so we couldn't be there. So lots of phone calls trying to figure out, you know, things with the doctors, with all of us being in the medical field, we, we wanted to know what was going on since we couldn't be there. Um, so there's a lot of phone calls. We, we did set up um, Skype to be able to Skype with dad um, so that we could see him. Um, and my mom hadn't been, you know, longer than 10 days away from him. So being away, you know, for this time was enough. Um, and he was then intubated um, seven days after going in. Um, he said he couldn't fight anymore. He couldn't keep doing it. And as much as he knew we wanted him not to do that, he, he couldn't help it anymore. Um, so he did. He got intubated. And at that point, that was where like it was 30, you know, right around 30 percent, give or take um, survival rate once once the patients were intubated at that time. And that was a struggle for us. Um, he had to select a power of attorney. So um, that took place. My my brother and my mom um, were, became the power of attorney. And from there, we knew we had to adv advocate for him because he no longer had a voice. And um, sorry, I get emotional still talking about it. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, from there, um, he ended up uh, a week later, we had hope. Um, during that time, we also brought in, um, a couple different pa family pastors that we knew to have conversations of, you know, just conversations of hope, prayer. Um, we would have them put the phone up to dad's ear to pray with him. Um, you know, and there was some difficulties through this process because, you know, not the nursing staff obviously was, you know, struggling to, uh, you know, there's a nursing shortage. Um, so we knew the nurses were short staffed. We knew, you know, they would talk about that openly because the conversations to be able to put a phone up to dad's ear while he was in quarantine um, in the hospital in isolation, I should say, um, you know, they struggled. They had to put the PPE on to bring the phone in and talk to him. Um, so we would try and ask for them to do it when they would, you know, when they'd have to go in and do their checks on him anyway. Um, so there was, you know, some some difficulty, some level of difficulty there when we couldn't be at the hospital with him. Um, so we were able to, you know, pursue prayer in, in that fashion, which, you know, was definitely a help when, you know, we felt out of control. Um, but then a week later, he was supposed to be extubated and things were looking good. And we realized the roller coaster was just beginning when he ended up not being extubated. Um, my mom was kind of go back. Uh, my mom had to face isolation as well. She had a quarantine is what the recommendation was. So my sister brought up the, uh, their family camper and we camped out in the camper while mom was at her, at her home. Um, we didn't want her being alone. So we stayed in the camper, sat in the family porch. We um, did everything we could to be with mom, even though she had a quarantine. 
So during this time, as, as time passed, her quarantine was, you know, obviously going past and she came downstairs a week after dad was intubated and we were supposed to be facing this extubation. And, um, she said that, uh, he ended up with, he, she got a phone call from the nursing staff and said that he ended up with a, um, some type of pneumonia. They don't know what kind of pneumonia it was. They couldn't, they couldn't determine, um, it was bacteria. So whether it was the viral pneumonia, um, there's potential, uh, we've, I did some investigating and, kind of looked like, you know, there's potential when you're on a ventilator like that, just some type of ventilator induced pneumonia is a possibility as well. And all this stuff is definitely, you know, stuff we're, we're trying to figure out, like he was supposed to be extubated. So we're doing all this research and all this, you know, talking to find out why in the world he all of a sudden got this pneumonia that developed. Um, So they actually put in like this Nava device um, to, to, um, it, it, it registers the diaphragm and, and the electric, electrical activity of the diaphragm as he's breathing um, to help with the ventilation settings as well, just to make sure that, you know, there was no more setbacks after that. Um, so that was, you know, he's still testing positive at 14 days of um, um, hospital admission. So we, uh, we still were isolated from him at this point. Um, we then um, continued this journey, uh, struggled, um, we are asking for prayers. We couldn't believe the, um, the outpouring of, um, support from dad was dad's a, an insurance agent in his community. And it's amazing, you know, when you live somewhere for as long as he has, that's where he, you know, was born and raised. Um, and then to be working in the community, the outpouring of support was just incredible and uplifting. Um, we had, we had faced so many ups and downs through this process. And I just, I'll never forget the time during this process that, um, my mom, you know, she, she was depressed, like she was down and out and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know which way to look. And there was one day during, during this time after, um, his uh, development of this pneumonia that she just, she looked at me and she's like, I just got to give this to God. I can't. I can't control it. I can't be there for him. I can't, you know, I can't do anything. And I just, I have to give this to God. And when she said that you saw like this lift off of her shoulders, she could smile again. Like it was, it was incredible for me to witness. And then the feelings that I went through, um, at that phase, because I'll be honest, my faith, you know, I've been a very fortunate individual. I haven't had a lot of, you know, real difficult phases in my life that, you know, really pressured my faith. And this became one of them. Um, I was, you know, leading to a dark place. And when I saw my mom pull through the way she did in that moment, that's when my faith started to blossom. And I realized too, like, I can't control any of this. I can't, help when I want to help. And the only way, the only opportunity I had was to give this to God. And when I did that, and when I saw my mom do that, it like we, it was like a refocus. Like we were able to advocate for dad in a way we never thought we could. Um, and we started to really recognize a lot of things. Um, you know, this, this journey of life, we are grateful for. And there are so many things in it that, you know, flourish if you can see that. And if you start to witness those things and, and it became very evident at that point, um, that that's what we needed to do. Um, I was able to get, it's called a Jesus calling book from my cousin. And, um, when we, 
got that from my cousin. We started reading it daily and holy cow, like it was so relevant every single time that we, um, you know, we'd go experience something. It was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is what God's telling us. This is, you know, this is how our faith, you know, is being brought out and, you know, this is what we need to do. And it was just, it, there was so much clarity with it and it felt very refreshing. Um, so back to, back you know, to Ashley, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that book and, and that's, um, some that's quite symbolic for me as well. My husband gave me that book in December for Christmas, 2018. Okay. And, I think he must have known I would need it. Yeah. And it, it has really sustained me through all of these years. He died in 2019. I'm and so soon after that, actually. And not having any clue what was coming, of course, in 2020. It, it was something that sustained me in 2019 in the acute grief. But that book and those readings have been, I, I, I go through it now each year because you, it, you go through the readings um, by calendar days. Yes. And I've been very struck by each of the three years of the pandemic, how that book has had something so powerful for each day and the things that we've been facing since then. And the scripture, I like the way she did it because there, there is, there's this feeling of a conversation with Jesus, but then there are the scriptures to go back and read more. I so that's very meaningful to me personally that you found that book so meaningful. And isn't it, isn't it amazing how God knows what we need and something provides it for us in this world, a gift from someone we love who knows that we need a lift. And for those of you listening, I would just encourage all of you to think about what Ashley's just said and, and what, what I commented has meant something to me, that sometimes the gift that you least suspect will be the gift that changes someone's life, whether it's a gift of a phone call or flowers or a card or a, a book for inspiration. We never know when an act of kindness can make a dramatic change in someone else's life when they're going through a rough time. So Ashley, thank you for sharing that. And, and the fact that you experienced the moment of turning things over to God, that's hard to do. And doing that and then experiencing what happened. Tell us more about that aspect of your journey. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, Dr. Vleet. I'm sure that was definitely a difficult time in your life. So my prayers go out to you um, as you continue that journey. Um, but yes, so um, there was, you know, definitely um, 
you know, just, to, I'll just kind of explain moving forward. Um, you know, I've, I've brought that into my life. I have two kids and a husband and we have continued our faithful life and we've needed to through this process. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of things I've experienced personally, my husband's experienced personally now, um, since, you know, since the illness has, you know, transpired and these couple of years have passed that, you know, the walk, the journey through life without, without him, I, I don't even know what that would look like anymore because it would, you know, there's, there's so, so many other opportunities at what people visualize or what they think is as a superior being, being, whether it's money, whether it's, um, you know, their work, whether it's, you know, there's, there's so many other things that people put at their forefront. And I know I very well have been in that situation where I very well could have done the same. Um, but that journey leads you to do decisions and things that, you know, maybe aren't as faithful and as, as promising as, uh, as the path with Christ. Um, and so since then I've, you know, we've carried out a life with, with God first and family second. And, um, that journey has prepared me for a lot of things that I've, you know, come across now in, um, you know, working in the medical field, um, and managing some of my personal life. Um, and it's been, it's definitely been, you know, a great journey to, to have opened my mind to, um, it's been incredible. And, to continue on, uh, I guess, talking about, um, you know, dad's illness and kind of where, where this all kind of, you know, still meets. Um, so dad, you know, ended up being intubated and, um, he was facing nearly 14 days of intubation at this point. And we, as a family continued to converse because he was still under isolation, testing positive for COVID. Um, and we were doing everything under our power to, you know, make sure they knew dad, who he was, because at that point, you know, the nursing staff, they're rotating people, they're rotating shifts there. There's so many new names that were coming through the phone. Um, and some of them we would recognize as, Hey, we remember them. We remember the experience they gave to dad and, and what they recognize with dad. And then there was ones that would kind of, you know, not empathize with us and just want to get off the phone so they could carry on. Um, and we recognized that and we continued, um, we continued to kind of push back against that and say, Hey, like, we can't be there. We need to know what's going on with dad. And, you know, my mom needed to know what her husband was going through. Um, so as that time went on, you know, and those difficult conversations happened, we had, you know, multiple, multiple conversations with administration also to say, Hey, like, you know, this person we can recognize as caring for dad. This person didn't, you know, didn't even want to put the phone up to dad's ear. So my mom could say good night. Um, Cause she's, she claimed, well, he can't hear you. You know that. Right. And we were like, uh, yeah, we've been doing this every night for my mom and, and dad can hear us. Um, Ashley, Ashley, I just want to say how incredibly wise that was for you and your family to do. Um, that is one thing that I have been very diligent in doing with hospital advocacies for COVID patients that were unable to bring home is try to convey to the staff the personhood of the victim, of the patient, <laughs> I meant to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like that, right? It does. And Absolutely. I, they are I, a victim yeah, of, the, I, of the cruel I, hospital it, protocols. It, it, it is cruel. And, and there was such a sense of dehumanizing 
these patients. And um, I was very cognizant of that in trying to um, bring the staff back around to this, this person is a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, and how very wise of you to, to do that step. Yeah. Yeah. And we even did, um, there was a couple of times where we brought in treats for the staff and wrote a card and just explained how thankful we were for their care because there was, there was high quality staff involved with dad's care. You know, there's, there's always some bad eggs, you know, there's always some, some people who are just trying to make it through a shift. Um, and you know, there's, I, I'm in the medical field. I get it. You have difficult days, you're faced with difficult situations and, you know, sometimes you just have a bad day and, and that's okay. Um, we are, we're human. Um, but when you start to recognize the same names and the same situations and, and, you know, it's, it's over and over again, and you, you recognize the good and the bad. And that's where we, you know, we definitely spoke with administration to get those bad eggs removed, um, because it's exactly what you said. Um, when, when you start to not care, then you start to lose the fact that this man has been intubated for as long as he has. Um, you know, he becomes a, a number instead of a human. And that's definitely, we faced that for sure. Um, it, it, so Ashley, I know we're going to get ready to go out to break. And I just want to share with the listeners, your journey reminds me of James from James chapter one, verses two through three, account it all joy, which Joy doesn't mean what we're perceiving in our English right now. Um, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's beautiful. Yes. That is such a powerful scripture, Nicole. I'm really grateful you shared that. It's been one that's meant a lot to me as well over a number of adversities. And I hope all of our listeners are learning from what Ashley's sharing about the importance of two things she shared, persistence and faith, of course, but also maintaining contact with our loved ones in the hospital. And they do hear us. Hearing is the very last sense to go. And so, yes, he could hear the voices. And their steadfastness in being with their father and the fact that they also showed caring for the staff, which is hard to do when the hospital staff seem to be nothing but roadblocks and obstacles for those that we love. So I want all of you to learn these lessons from what Ashley is sharing with us and make a note of this in case you have someone in the hospital. This is Dr. Lane for America with the Whistleblower Report talking about a medical miracle today. And we will be back with the second half right after the break. Check us out every day, Monday through Friday, 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time right here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. And then check out our website, truthforhealth.org, where we have lots of resources for you, including a fact sheet, steps to take before you go in the hospital to help you stay out of the hospital and save your life. And if you are in the hospital, we have tips for family, for advocacy. So 
check out our resources on truthforhealth.org. And we will be right back after the break. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. The family of Juliana Parker would sincerely like to thank the Truth for Health Foundation. Without their help and support, we never could have gotten our mother out of the hospital and into our home so that we could be with her for the last week of her life. They gave us the strength, the courage, the knowledge, the list of things that we needed to do in order to prepare for that. And they were there at a critical moment when it came to moving her out. Welcome to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with the medical report today with Ashley and her family story of a COVID-19 miracle, a true testament to faith, courage, and steadfastness in the face of adversity. And nurse Nicole Landers, director of the Truth for Health Foundation COVID care strategy team, who has spent the last several years in the COVID pandemic doing hospital advocacy to help families navigate these very, I think, cruel hospital protocols that have not been like anything I've ever seen in my medical career, where face, patients are, are truly victims of rigidity and cruelty with isolation for long periods of time. In fact, it has never made sense to me that the hospital protocols require such prolonged isolation when the CDC only recommended 10 days 
of separation or quarantine if you were exposed. So to have people isolated for weeks on end in the hospital never made any sense. And I have spoken out about that many, many times. In addition, using the PCR test, which was never meant to be diagnostic, and continuing to test positive, people can test positive for many months because you're, you're picking up fragments of a virus from an old infection. So the testing methods were never reliable, not meant to be diagnostic. And to use that almost as a weapon to keep the family away from the patient, I have felt was heartless. And it was not what American medicine has always been over my 40 years in medicine. And I really am impressed with hearing Ashley's story and her family and the way they kept their courage and faith in the face of all of this and the difficulty of dealing with those protocols when their father was isolated for so long. So Ashley, again, you just are amazing in, in the way that you're able to share with our listeners what you've been through. And also, I, I look forward to hearing more about the, the rest of your story. So please go back to what you were saying before the break. Sure. And thank you again for having me. Um, so, yeah, so I'll kind of get into uh, the conversations after, um, you know, two weeks of intubation was coming up and we had had conversations of, well, how long can dad be intubated? And they had said, well, 14 days is right when we want to, you know, be able to possibly do a tracheotomy on him so that he can be on the respirator still, but, or the ventilator still, but yet, um, you know, hopefully not face vocal cord damage and some of the other things that go with having a tube down your trachea for that long. So uh, 14 days came, we didn't have any, anyone notify us that a tracheotomy was gonna happen. So we had asked um, the physicians, you know, like when are we gonna be seeing this? And we had been told um, because he was still testing positive that they didn't feel comfortable putting their staff or the, finding a physician to actually do the tracheotomy. So we, um, you know, at this point he's 27 days still testing positive and he was sick for probably 10 days prior to that. Um, he uh, we ended up looking into UW system where we're, we're in Wisconsin. So we looked at um, the UW system to find out if we needed to transfer him. And we were going to do everything under our power to be sure he got the care he needed. Um, they were telling us they weren't going to do the tracheotomy. And so we ended up, um, you know, pursuing that the doctors had conversation and Within a couple of days, we got a, my brother got the phone call from an ENT, a courageous ENT that said, you know what, just help me. I'm going to have about a day to get the, make sure we have the supplies we need. Um, he's going to be our first COVID positive tracheotomy, and we just want to be prepared for it. So on day 20, dad got the tracheotomy and the ENT came in the room afterwards. Um, this was the first time my mom got to hold my dad's hand because we called administration and said, look, we have, my mom hasn't held his hand since he entered the hospital. Uh, that was 27 days um, that mom went without holding his hand. How can he go through a procedure and not have that? Like, how do you not have him have that opportunity to, to touch flesh? 
um, somebody he loves. So they did, they allowed my, my mom and my brother to hold his hand uh, just slightly before he got taken back. They had to put the PPE on, um, again, 27 days of testing positive at this point. And, um, they were able to walk him to the procedure room. Um, and then afterwards the, like I said, the physician came and talked to us and said, wow, his lungs sure look great. Um, my dad at this point, 63 years old, um, you know, never smoked and, you know, really wasn't faced. Like I said, he was a healthy man. Um, and that was something, you know, we had to really enforce too. Like you're taking care of somebody who, who has been healthy, like, um, so anyways, when we got that positive news, like there was hope, like we were like, his lungs are good. Like they weren't, they weren't as affected by COVID as, as you kind of had, you know, heard how these, you know, COVID lungs and things like that would happen. Um, so we had a new hope that roller coaster was, you know, going up again. And we always joked about the roller coaster ride, um, that we were on with this and, um, they started to kind of wean him from some of the sedation and say sedation drugs at that point to see if he would start to, you know, if there'd be any coherency or start waking up. And there was a lot of difficulty in that because he had been sedated for so long at this point. And <clears throat> on day uh, 23 of being on the ventilator um, the, and ha now having the tracheotomy, I remember it clearly me and my mom and my brother were at our country home, the family home. Um, and I was grateful. My work um, was very flexible with me. So I, I was able to advocate for dad. Um, they were allowed, they allowed me away from work. So I spent a lot of time up by my parents' house at this family farm, helping out with the garden that was blossoming. My dad's garden just blossomed during this time, which again, you know, following the faith, it was almost like, you know what, you know, his, his garden had done the best probably it had done in years. And so we were really busy with that, which kept us close as a family too during this time kind of kept us together but uh so we had been you know with the garden most of the day and that evening we were going to make some salsa and do some other stuff that you know mom and dad normally did so me and my brother and my mom had been doing that we were going to sit down and we always played either cribbage or yahtzee together those were the two things that kept us busy um during this time and we sat down at the table to to play um cribbage and my mom got a phone call and it, it was at a time when we thought we were, you know, maybe staff was calling us to, to say goodnight to dad or something and ended up being a phone call, them saying, a nurse saying he just had a run of ET and he, he vomited, um, vomited to the point that his tracheotomy came out. So they had to like reinsert it, insert it and they weren't sure if he had aspirated um, at that point. Um, so again, the roller coaster just dipped tremendously. We re requested a talk with the physician because at that point um, I'm in the cardiac um, field. And when I heard VT, um, it made me ventricular tachycardia. It made me very nervous, um, as to what was going on with his heart at that point. And, um, when we got on the, the call with, um, the doctor, he had said, um, you know, your dad's been on a ventilator now for 23 days. Um, he's not showing any signs of improvement. And we think that, you know, it's time for hospice and, oh, me, my mom, and my brother were like, absolutely not. And we told him, no, um, this is not something you're going to tell us over the phone. We are going to have a face-to-face -face conversation. This is, you know, we just, we, we lost our minds. We couldn't believe that after an ENT had just told us about how his lungs looked good. Um, his kidneys had started to fail a little bit. Um, so they were going to be pursuing dialysis, you know, at some point, but at that time, um, you know, he was, he was just holding steady. 
Um, he, um, his liver function was still showing good in all the labs that we were getting. Um, there, there was like literally nothing that we could see, you know, this couple beats of VT or whatever they had said, his heart otherwise had been performing fine. Um, so we demanded a face-to-face -face conversation. Uh, my sister came home from up north. We all went met, went and met at the hospital the next day. And, it, you know, luckily, in some sense, it, it was not that same doctor that we ended up working with. There was a change in shift. And so we got this community doctor. Um, he had been there for 25 plus years. Um, and he spoke to us like we were human. And he was human. And we said, you know, there's a Hippocratic oath you guys take, like you're supposed to do no harm to the patient. Um, you know, from what we understood, hospice was, you know, was something where there was literally no looking back. Like you couldn't, you can't heal the brain. You can't heal certain things that, you know, that die off. And at this point, there was nothing that was dead on dad. Um, his lungs were fine. We said that we said the only thing that they hadn't looked at yet was his brain because he was still in isolation. Um, he was being given, um, you know, treatment for, for blood clots because that was a big thing with COVID. His D-dimer was extremely elevated. Um, so they, they had him on blood thinner. So whether he could have, you know, at some point thrown a clot, possibly at some point, um, you know, blood because of maybe too much of the blood thinners, possibly he's been laying in a hospital bed now at this point for, for so long. Um, so why can't we pursue at least a brain scan? And if his brain is good, why would we put him on hospice care? And the doctor had said, you know, Hey, you made a lot of value, you know, valuable points. Obviously he sees, you know, five, five the five of us siblings and my mom in person, we're having a face-to-face -face conversation, um, and we, we had so much value in that. And he went back and he said he had to check with, you know, some, some of the staff and things. And considering he was still in isolation, they pursued, um, pursued a CAT scan, um, even though there was a little bit of hesitancy with that or a lot of bit of hesitancy. Um, the brain scan came back and it was clear. Um, he had no bleed. Um, there was no atrophy. Um, so we we were thankful because in that moment he had recognized, he's like, you know, he's not waking up because he's probably facing delirium right now. Um, it's ICU delirium from all the medication he's been on. It's going to take some time to work it out of his system and it might be a difficult process, but we really just need to wake him up. Um, and it was, and he ended up the next day, it was Labor Day weekend when this all happened. So we couldn't um, do anything on that Monday. That Monday's when we met with him, but he wanted to send off a, a different test instead of doing this whole, you know, whether it was the nasal swab or PCR test, whatever they were doing at that time that kept on proving him positive. Um, they took some, I, I don't know if it was as far down as like lungs, bronchioles. Um, I don't know where it was that it was located, but they took tissue and sent it to UW. And that test result came in on Tuesday since they couldn't do it on Monday. And when that test result came back and it was negative, that doctor, the one, he's, he's our miracle doctor, um, he allowed us in by him and they didn't want us all to see him right away. And then he said, no, this family needs to see their, their husband, their father. And we walked in there and it was the best, I mean, it was the best feeling in the world to be sitting next to dad, um, continuing this journey that we knew he was on and, um, you know, just being able to hold his hand again, um, touch his head, um, just be in close proximity, knowing he's, he still exists, um, you know, because you know, that was, 
Ashley, I want to stop you for just a moment because I really want our listeners to, I, I want to emphasize a couple of critical things that you have said, and I don't want our listeners to miss these points. Number one, you had the presence of mind, your family had, and you, especially from your medical field training. You had the presence of mind to confront the physician and say, no, you're not going to tell us this over the phone about it's time to put my father and your mother's husband on hospice. That does require a face-to-face meeting with the doctor and going through all of the things that you outlined, the pros and cons making a joint decision. And the idea that, that you, your family was called and told by the physician, well, we think it's time to go on hospice. That just incenses me as a physician. Never in my entire career did I ever do anything like that and dictate to a family something so final as that decision, because hospice care is important. And I've worked with hospice earlier in my career. It's an important adjunct when someone is terminally ill and when someone has no hope, when when the medical condition is such there's no chance of recovery, it's an important support. But it's not something that the medical team should dictate to the family over the phone. So for all you listeners out there, learn from what Ashley and her family had the courage to do. Stand up to the medical directives when you're being told something that isn't what your family wants. And then the next part was, again, as Nicole emphasized and you talked about, Ashley, This dehumanization of patients through COVID has been very chilling for for us to see happening. And I think the ways that you emphasized your father as a unique human being created in God's image with uniqueness, there's no one else like him in the entire world. And emphasizing that and keep bringing his humanness back into it. Now, I'm grateful to hear you had a compassionate physician who was willing to listen to all of you. But if you had not stood firm, look at where things may well have gone. So, America, pay attention to the profound lessons that Ashley is teaching as she shares this journey. It is important for all of you to know you have rights. You can advocate for those you love in the hospital. You don't have to be the victim of the medical tyranny that we've been experiencing the last three years. So Ashley, I I really wanted our listeners to really process what, what you've just been sharing with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and, you know, it's it's just crazy to me, too, because during this time, like, you know, working in the medical field, I had witnessed so many families go through hard times and watching them, you know, deal and cope and and, you know, 
lived those very extremely low moments. Um, you know, and during this time, it was, I don't know if it was the faith or what it was, but there was a couple of times where I sat back and I was like, holy crap, I'm that family right now. Like that's, that's us. We're battling this. And, and like I said, I don't know if it was faith or what it was, but it just, there was perseverance and there was, you know, there was, we weren't going to let anything get in the way of what we knew it was right and what was appropriate. Um, and what I had seen prior to, prior to, you know, the, the pandemic, what I had seen in the hospital systems and how they did advocate and how did they did, you know, like you said, you know, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into hospice care. And um, when we were told that, that was just awe striking to us. We, we lost our minds for a, a little bit there. Um, that night was rough. Um, but yeah, so we, and, and talking about dad being human, like we, um, in the first few weeks we did set up, um, finally, cause I had talked to administration over and over again about this, you know, like people need to know that dad, who dad is. And he had a nickname, you know, years ago and we call him Papa fresh. So we, we tried to make light of the moment and say, Hey, you know, dad's Papa fresh. And, and, you know, you can call him that when you walk in the room and, you know, and I had a, we wrote up a little paper, um, document of who he was just to have in the room. So people, you know, any, any staff coming in knew who that man was, because obviously, Obviously, he's just laying there in a hospital bed. Um, so we were able to do that. And they did, you know, post that. And at one point on the on the board, when we finally were able to go in by him, they had written his name up there as Papa Fresh. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of a lot of really good, um, you know, good that came from that, as well as all the, the negative that we had. Ashley, um, that is so that is so awesome. I, <laughs> I it's just really Papa Fresh. I. Uh, for the listeners and Ashley too, have, do you know who Toby Mack is? The Christian singer. He's a Christian singer and he has a song about speaking life. And I, I would encourage everyone to go check out that song. You speak life, you speak love, you speak hope. This is what you did. Yes. You spoke life into a very dark place. And as someone who has been in the trenches doing this, it is profound to me how you and your family spoke life and hope and truth into that dark place. And, and you did it being faithful to the Lord, not in anger, but in humility and with a steadfast heart. I, I just, it really has been impressing on me as you've been sharing um, just how powerful that is and how true it is. Thank you, Nicole. That is so true. Thank you for bringing that up, Nicole. I, I think too many people don't realize how critically important those words of hope are. I, I, I'm just grateful to hear your story because more people need to know and be inspired by the way you handle this. And thank you for articulating that, Nicole. We'll go ahead, Ashley, your, your closing thoughts in as we begin to wrap up today, what are the most important messages you would like our listeners to take away from all that you've been through? And I know you have a road ahead with your father's recovery, but certainly you've made many steps in positive directions for that. Absolutely. Um, so I think, um, you know, 
once he traveled through two different hospitals after that for his rehab, um, that was another huge stepping stone when you wake up and you can't move, um, you can't talk. Um, that was another whole process. The ICU delirium, that was real. He had dreams and nightmares that um, he thought were real when he woke up and you're surrounded by a bunch of beeping noises and people you don't know. You live out your dreams as reality until proven otherwise. And when you have a nightmare that your two children, myself and my brother committed suicide and we walk into your room, he didn't know what to think. Um, he had a dream about my mom, a nightmare about my mom. He turned his back on, on my mom when she walked in because of that nightmare. He lived it out until he was proven otherwise. It was a hard time for him to realize um, reality. Um, so we we were there by his side. We stayed with him as hard as it was. Um, and through this process and communicating, um, he, he walked out um, November 13th. He was discharged. Nine, it was Friday the 13th, 98 days after his um, admission. And because of our story and everything we've lived through, he, him and I talked and he has a book. He's publishing a story. So for those of you listening, um, and want to learn the whole story and the whole journey. Um, everything I've stated today will be in that book. And it's going to be called 98 Days, and it should be published soon. But, um, you know, again, we, we felt like the story, like for the best of humanity, we, you know, it's got to get told. Um, and, you know, for people to understand the things that we went through and to help their loved ones and anyone else that might face get faced with this or, or anything like that. So, um, he's excited about that. Um, but, you know, his journey hasn't ended. Um, you know, he had COVID toes, so he's got neuropathy in his feet. He has vocal cord injury from being intubated. Um, his kidneys, he's been in stage five kidney disease since, um, since leaving the hospital. He pursued a natural route with Wellness Way um, that has prevented him from going on dialysis. So his diet changes have been crucial to preventing him from dialysis, but he you know, his labs are kind of up and down at times. So he was going to pursue um, a kidney transplant and he's been denied since he doesn't have the COVID vaccine. Um, so he is going to, my sister, the naturopath was able to find another naturopathic doctor um, to hopefully help him. And so he's gone through a couple more diet changes um, and adjustments and he's pursuing that route since uh, apparently, um, you know, the kidney transplant may not be an option for him, um, which is another, you know, journey that we're putting faith foremost um, and, you know, just kind of continuing on. But I think the biggest thing is just know, know you're not alone. Um, know that, you know, there is a reason for um, faith and Jesus Christ and the followings of, you know, uh, of, of the teachings in the Bible. Um, there's a reason for them. And if it wasn't for faith, I wouldn't be here talking today because I know the dark spot I was headed to. Um, Actually, thank you so much for your incredible courage, faith, persistence, steadfastness, and sharing this story with all of our listeners. I know there are thousands of people across America who have been discouraged and overwhelmed with all that's been happening. And you, you have, as Nicole said, you have spoken life and hope and a testimony to the presence of Jesus in your life. And we are very grateful. Nicole, 
your final words today, and then I'll wrap up. Absolutely, Dr. Bleed. Ashley, what a powerful and encouraging story um, of hope, of perseverance, and of love. As a, a fellow sister in Christ, that you ha- are, my heart just resonates. This is everything that's in me um, that I purpose to do in the Lord uh, and toward others. And I'm just encouraged. I thank you so much for sharing. Um, Certainly we'll be praying for your dad as he's moving forward. And I just want to encourage you. These are Ebenezer's, right? The Lord takes us through these times and gives us Ebenezer's that we can go back to when we face new trials as he continues to build our faith. And I know that you'll be looking for these Ebenezer's and I can't wait to read your father's book. Yes, I look forward to that as well. And, you know, we're in the season of Lent and coming into the Easter season, and you and your family have quite a story of an Easter miracle. And so we'll pray that he is better by Easter, and that will be something we'll look forward to. And we'd like to have you join us for Faith Over Fear on a Tuesday evening program every Tuesday at 8 p.m. For all of you listeners, you're welcome to join our Faith Over Fear programs. Check our website, truthforhealth.org. Sign up for our email alerts and you'll get a notice of each one. We have a lot of interesting programs coming up. And so, Ashley, we'll be talking with you about joining us to share your family's story with Faith Over Fear as well. Thank you for being with us on the Whistleblower Report today. And thank all of you listeners for being with us and supporting our work. Sign up for our email alerts. Join our crusade of the formerly voiceless. We are silent no more. We speak out. We stand in courage. We stand in faith. And together, we will help our nation turn back to God and be the America as it was founded, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all and our freedoms and life that are God-given. God bless you all. We'll be back again tomorrow.